the Holy Spirit and prayer. If you want to open your, um, your uh, handouts, whether you're writing notes or not, it's just helpful to have the headings uh, there. And I've begun with a, uh, a rather vague thing about lost children. Um, I don't know if you've read uh, any of Dave Pelzer's sort of autobiographical books. Um, you've written more than this now, but it began as a trilogy. Uh, it began with a child called It, which documented his appalling uh, childhood, where he was horribly abused. Uh, uh, the second one was called The Lost Boy, Later Childhood and Teens, uh, all spent in foster care. And then the third book, A Man Called Dave, speaks about his adulthood. And one of the central themes in those, in those books, particularly the second one, um, is the idea of searching for the love of a family, uh, longing to know someone as father and mother. Because in foster care, he moved around loads of different uh, families. And with each move, very poignant uh, in the book, with each move is kind of the question, will, will these people be the people who would care for me? Will these be the ones who I could know as mother and father? Uh, and then he always moved on. And that's why it's entitled The Lost Boy, because there was nowhere he felt was home, where he belonged. And without that experience of family relationship, he felt lost. And that, of course, is because when you're a child, the defining relationship for you is the relationship with your parents. Uh, that's why the stereotypical psychiatrist's question as you lie on the couch and he speaks with a German accent is, you know, tell me about your childhood. Because it is so defining for us. We're made to live in those families. Now that's true on the human level of our family life. But that gives us a picture of our relationship with God. Uh, that relationship is presented in different ways in Scripture, but one of them is that of a parent and child, father and son. Adam, we're told, was the son of God. Um, uh, and we're created to live, like, live with God as our father. We thought earlier on this morning uh, how that relationship is now broken down. Uh, not because of bad parenting, this time of course, far from it, but because of our uh, rebellion and our turning our back uh, on God. Um, God, though, has done something about it. I'm going to turn to Galatians 4. So look at Galatians 4. Galatians 4, let me uh, read the first uh, few verses. Uh, Paul's talking about um, adoption in the Roman world and um, uh, people being heirs and so on. So verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. What I'm saying is that as long as heirs are underage, they're no different from slaves, although they own the whole estate. They're subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by their fathers. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. 
Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our heart, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer slaves, but God's children. And since you are his children, he has made you also heirs. So we think about knowing God as Father. And we think first of all about the work of Jesus here. Uh, because Paul says that Jesus is sent here for two reasons. Uh, you see them in verse 4. God sent his son, first reason, to redeem us. To redeem those under the law. Redemption is the language of the slave market. If you went to a slave market and uh, there are the slaves standing up and um, the price on, you know, uh, around their neck, whatever it is, and you go up and you pay the price to the owner and the slave steps down and then you say to the slave, actually, I don't want to own you. I've come to set you free. Okay, so I've paid the price for you. You, you can go now. You have just redeemed that slave. You've paid the price to set them free. And so Jesus comes to redeem us and to set us free. Back across the page, chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Our rebellion against God means we're under this curse. There is this payment due and God sends Jesus to redeem us from that, to free us. And he does it by becoming a curse for us, taking the punishment in our place. Now that's foundational to why God sent Jesus. And we need to uh, hold to that and assert that, because I think that is questioned in uh, evangelical and evangelical-ish sort of circles today, more and more. But while it's foundational, and we must say it, and we must uphold it, we mustn't make a little mistake. Which is starting to think that this redemption of us, or in other passages of the Bible, other terminology would be our justification, our being declared innocent now, and righteous before God, and so on. We mustn't make the mistake of thinking that is all God wanted to achieve. He wanted to do more than redeem us. See verse 4 and 5, he sends, him, sends Jesus to redeem those under the law so that we might receive adoption to sonship. It's literally uh, so that we might receive the adoption. And he's using a term here that's used um, in, in, uh, in the Roman world about the legal adoption of someone as your child, which happened in, in, in the Roman world. And so the redemption is like a stepping stone. It's a necessary stepping stone. It must be there. It must happen. You can't get across the river without it. But it is still a stepping stone to the other side. And the other side is adoption. That is God's ultimate purpose. Why did God send Jesus? To make us God's children. You see, God's aim is establishing a relationship. And to do that, Jesus must come and die in our place and set us free. But God isn't simply after us being free rather than enslaved. He wants to make us family. But it's not just paying the price for that slave and saying, well, you can go now. 
It's saying, you can come home now with me. Now, similarly, if you think about the language of justification or something, God doesn't just want to declare us innocent rather than guilty. He wants to declare us family, children. We just think of someone who's, who is considering adoption. But why, why, why do you do that? Why, why, why do you want to adopt someone? It's, it's for the relationship with that child. That, that you will know them as your child, that they will know you as father and mother. Well, God sent Jesus, not simply to set us free, but so that we would know him as father, for that relationship. Now you might be thinking, hang on, Graham, you're talking about the Holy Spirit and prayer. What are we doing here? Well, fundamental to our prayer life is this relationship with God as Father. If we are unsure of this, we will never pray as we could or as we should. We must be convinced that God has adopted us. That his work through Jesus doesn't just get us off the hook with him, it brings us into his family. God God doesn't just forgiven you and now tolerates you. He delights in you as his child. Do you believe that? If you do, that affects how you relate to him. That affects how you pray to him. If you don't, then there's always going to be distance fear, uncertainty. But we have to move then from knowing God as Father to praying to God as Father. Uh, You see there are two sendings in this passage. God sent Jesus, verse 4, and now that we're made sons or children, verse 6, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. So why does he send the Spirit? Well, the Spirit is sent, first of all, so that we would actually come to know God as Father. See how verse 6 goes on. The Spirit who calls out Abba, Father. We receive the Spirit. He gives the Spirit into us so that by the Spirit we would call out Abba, Father. Now, We're talking here about much more than the name we use for God. We're talking about how we relate to God. We just think about a child being adopted today, and perhaps an older child, a teenager maybe, right? Was adopted. They came home. New relationship set up. I imagine there's some uncertainty, feeling each other out a little bit, settling time and all that. So what would that child call their new parents. You know, so, you know, now, Jim, we'd, we'd like you to call us mum and dad. Might feel quite awkward about that. Imagine the relationship goes on. Imagine, imagine the day that he does call them mum and dad and does so naturally and easily, knowing that's, that's who they are. 
Wouldn't that be a great day in that relationship? That's what they want. They want to relate like that. God sends his spirit so that we can call him Dad. And do so with reality. Not just as a name I know I'm supposed to use, but that's how I think of him. And Paul stresses the significance by by giving this word in the Aramaic, Abba, and then translating it, Father. It's um, it's a very domestic word, Abba, a bit like the word Daddy. Um, Not just the word of sort of young children, but the word word of close family. And nobody in Jesus' day would have dared use such a word for God. That word captured something of the warmth and the closeness and the intimacy of Jesus' relationship with his Father. It's the word he used when he prayed. And so Paul includes that word here, saying, we're given the Spirit of the Son, now that we are sons, so that we can use the same word Jesus used. In other words, we can relate to God the same way. Uh, Dick Lucas, who's a relatively well-known retired minister in in London, very uh, posh Anglican man, (laughs) always speaks like he's got a plum in his mouth. Um, uh, He tells the story of being in some shop somewhere, um, uh, run by a um, uh, a, a Jewish family, and um, while he was in the shop, the child of the family came came out from the back of the shop just calling Abba, Abba. Just like Archer would say, Daddy, Daddy. And Dick Lucas says, he stopped and he worshipped. Because it suddenly struck him. That's That's how I'm allowed to relate to my Father in heaven. That's what he's done. We can approach God our Father just like Jesus did. Our position in relating to the Father is the same as Jesus's. He's a son by right. We're sons, daughters by adoption, but it's the same position. Now, do you believe that? You can turn to God and call him Father just like the Lord Jesus did. Well, he sent his son so that we could become sons, and because we're sons, he sent the spirit of his son so that we can call him Father. You see the quote on the sheets by Charles Spurgeon, a minister in the 19th century. I see it is alleged as a very grave charge against me that I speak as if I were familiar with God. Because some people have said it wasn't appropriate the way he spoke. But if I know I am his child, with whom should a child be familiar but with his father? Absolutely. But God, of course, doesn't want us to lose our sense of awe or reverence but he wants us to call him Father. That's why he sent his Spirit. To put it another way, God sent his Spirit to make that relationship real. And that's why the Spirit is linked to prayer. Because you see, we pray in the name of Jesus, that is, on the basis of what he's done, but we pray in the Spirit, or by the Spirit, that is, relating to God through him. Ephesians 2 says, 
Uh, it is through the Spirit that we have access to the Father. The Spirit makes that relationship real to us. Okay, let's pause there. Uh, uh, let's turn to Romans 8. Turn back to Romans uh, 8 uh, in your Bibles. I haven't got you talking very much so far and you're going to start getting bored. So I need to think of a question quickly. Um, so I'd like you to look at Romans 8 uh, verses 15 to 16. 15 and 16. Uh, you'll see lots of similarity to what we've just read in Galatians. Is there anything different? Okay. Turn to your neighbour. You'll see lots of things that are similar. Anything different? Anything that enlarges on what we've seen so far? Talk to your neighbour. You've got a minute. Go. What are your thoughts? What's, what, what's being added to you from what we've been seeing already? Anything? Yes? So, and something going on between the two. So, verse 16, the Spirit testifying with our spirit. Yeah? We'll come back to that. Other thoughts? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, in uh, Galatians 4, it was the Spirit crying, Abba, Father. Here, end of verse 17, it's us calling Abba Father. I wouldn't, I want to draw a big distinction because verse 17 says, and by him we say Abba Father. Now back in, back in, in Galatians when it says, and the Spirit calls it Abba Father, I take it it's not simply that we're sitting there and the Spirit's going, Abba! <laughs> and we're kind of going, who's that? You know, so like, as in, it, it's, it's us doing the vocalising, but it's the Spirit in us drawing us to do that, or here, by the Spirit, it is us saying it. So it's a slightly different uh, picture, but it's, it's, it's very similar. Go on. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty similar, but just with some little, little slight differences on it. Um, there's that same, same word for adoption the adoption to sonship halfway through verse 15 as we've already said the Spirit's now leading us to be able to say um, Abba Father the slight difference about this, this relationship with God verse 15 the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again and so there's this comparison between a slave who lives in fear of their master and a son or a child who lives in security or trust of their father. Now that was there in uh, Galatians, but it's sort of stronger uh, here. And I think um, I think that's simply emphasising what we've seen already. That this um, I, I'm actually going to show you a picture in a second. So that's we need this on. Uh, we can get rid of it after that. Um, I think that's emphasising. This, this, this whole what you call God thing is wrapped up with how you relate to him, how you think of him, that if you think of him as a master that you're in slavery to, there is fear involved. And God doesn't want us to relate to him like that. He wants us to know that we're his children. 
but can turn to him and call him Father. And so the Spirit comes, doesn't, you know, slavery was before. This is freedom. The freedom of the family. Not that there aren't responsibilities or obligations in the family, but there's freedom in the family. So the Spirit leads us to relate to God as Father, call him as Father, and then verse 16, the Spirit testifies with our Spirit that we are God's children. I don't think he's um, talking about something completely new here, some new experience. He's just said, Spirit gives us confidence to call God Father. And I think he's simply saying that experience is part of the Christian reassurance of the truthfulness of who we are. You know, this, this isn't just a sort of a statement of belief. I believe that by the Spirit I know God as Father. Tick. Yes, I believe that. It's a truth you believe, but it's it's a, it's, a, it's a relationship you experience. Now, lots of people do ask uh, from this sort of verse, well, well, what exactly do I experience then? What is this testimony with my spirit? All they say, well, I've not had much of an experience. I think, first of all, you need to think about what sort of experience we're talking about. Uh, so here's a picture of my family. Wait for it. I thought you might just, just you know, they couldn't be here, and they're sorry they can't be here, like would like to see them. Uh, so, so my lovely wife, uh, and uh, Cara, uh, and then to the right is Isaac, and to the left is Jed, uh, and that's the dog that's died. So, ah, uh, but new puppy, hooray. Now think of my children, as far as I'm aware, Cara, Isaac, and Jed there, don't walk around life with just with this kind of kind of thinking to themselves, yes, Graham's my father. Sort of a feeling in them. Graham father. I'm not entirely sure what, what, what that feeling would, would be exactly. But what they do is they walk around life relating to me as father. They ask me for stuff. They talk to me. They run to me when they're hurt or whatever it is. I think that's the sort of experience we're talking about. The Spirit doesn't just bring us to have a feeling, God, it's Father. I'm not quite sure what that, what that would mean. He brings us to relate to God as Father. So that we have confidence in Him. So that we know His love. We know His acceptance. We trust Him. We ask Him for help. We say sorry to Him. We turn to Him for comfort. It's not something you sit and feel. It's a relationship you live in. All summed up by being able to call Him Father. And I take it that all Christians should know that relationship and that experience of relating to God as Father. I think then exactly what people will feel will vary between us and some of it depends on our personalities. You know, some of us have, uh, have emotional ranges that go from the heights to the depths. Uh, others of us are more emotionally limited, stable. <laughs> hey, Depends how you view it. I don't think God changes us so that we all suddenly have identical personalities and identical feelings. He's worried that we have a real relationship with him. I think that will be felt a little differently between us. Which means we need to be careful about how we talk about our relationship with God and our experience of him so we don't make other people feel like their relationship isn't real. What we should do, though, 
is to pray to God that by his spirit we would grow in the reality of relationship. And that is expressed through calling him Father and being able to pray to him. And so the Spirit is the one who makes this relationship real. A couple of times in the Bible we read that we are to pray in the Spirit. And so we say, what's prayer in the Spirit? As if it's some different, special form of prayer. Well, actually, you you could easily translate that, pray by the Spirit. It doesn't really matter which way you pray. I think all prayer is prayer in or by the Spirit, because that is how we relate to God. Time's going. Thanks for the picture. We can get rid of that. Um, One last thing on the work of the Spirit and prayer. He doesn't just enable us to do it. He helps us. Last heading. A little later on in Romans 8. Glance down to verses 26 and 27. He's been talking here about um, our suffering and our longing for the future that we're saved in hope that we, we now live in a, this fallen, wrecked world that is passing away, that we now are those adopted by God who long for the new world to come. We're, we live in this, this point of tension. And he goes on to say, in the same way, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit helps us in our weakness in praying, and that weakness in this particular situation is that we don't know what we ought to pray for, verse 26. Uh, We may well struggle with motivation to pray and all sorts of other bits of weakness, but the weakness here is our ignorance of what do I pray for in this situation? when the kids are like that, or this is happening in church, and that's going down at work, and I'm feeling this way, and I don't know what to ask. Now clearly, Paul prays elsewhere and tells his readers exactly what he's praying for them, and says, I'm praying for this, 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 and this. So this this ignorance doesn't mean there's nothing Paul prays for. He's just saying there are situations in our weakness, in the tension and turmoil of this life, where we don't know what to ask for. So he's not thinking of our general prayers for growth and godliness and hope for the future and extension of the kingdom, which are things we ought to be praying. He's thinking of situations where we just don't know what to pray. As I said, the context in Romans 8 here is our suffering. Uh, It's our weakness and particularly in situations of suffering where we don't know what to ask God. And he says, verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. It's a lovely picture. You know, imagine someone here, I don't know, someone wants to lift this somewhere, and they try and lift it up, they've got it half on their back, and they're dragging it, and, and you see them doing it. You say, oh, look, let me give you a hand with that. And you come and take the other end, and you lift it with them, and suddenly they go, oh, good, I can carry it now. That's the picture here. The Spirit comes alongside and and helps, carries alongside. That's the idea. The Spirit helps by interceding or praying for us. Now the translations vary. I've got the TNIV, the Today's International Version. Uh, Who here's got the NIV? 
quite a lot. Well, if this is today's NIV, what are you reading? Yesterday's. Get up to date, guys, really. What can I say? Uh, The NIV, sorry, (laughs) the NIV says, um, with groans that words cannot express. Is that right? Yeah? Whereas this says, with wordless groans. It could be translated either way. It's either groans so silent you can't hear them, or groans so profound you can't express them. Are they wordless groans or groans that you couldn't put into words? Now, I think actually it's the first of those that is wordless, groans that you can't hear. Because we can't hear the Spirit praying for us. The Spirit prays on our behalf, but we can't hear his prayers. But what we're told is he's helping us and his prayers are effective because he always prays in accordance with God's will. See, our words may be wrong. Our words may just fail in some situations. But God searches our hearts and the Spirit intercedes and the Spirit prays without words but God knows the mind of the Spirit and the Spirit always prays what the Father wants in accordance with his will. Which doesn't mean, of course, we just sit back and go, oh well, the Spirit will pray for me then. Just oh, go on then, Spirit. Off you go. That's great. Thank you. No, the Spirit, the picture is one of us kind of groaning and longing. But as we express our confusion and our uncertainty and whatever it is in our weakness, we are assured that the Spirit is praying for us. J.I. Packer in his book on prayer uh, quotes somebody in saying the Spirit kind of fixes our prayers on the way up. We don't know what to pray for. We're in confusion. Sometimes you can't even express it. The Spirit takes that and translates it and makes it what God would want to hear. The Spirit prays the prayer that we would have prayed had we known what we should be asking for in that setting. And so amazingly, as we think of the Spirit and prayer, just as we finish, there are three members of the Trinity and two of them pray for us. I haven't thought about Jesus' praying here, but you know the Son intercedes on our behalf later in Romans 8 and the Spirit prays for us. So there's this quote from Doug Moo on the sheets. There's one in heaven, the Son of God, who intercedes on our behalf, defending us from all charges that might be brought against, against us guaranteeing salvation in the day of judgment. If we ever worry that God does not delight in us, that he might hold our sins against us, we remind ourselves that Jesus is praying for us, saying, I've died for them. But there is also, Paul asserts in these verses, an intercessor in the heart, the Spirit of God, who effectively prays to the Father on on our behalf to the difficulties and uncertainties of our lives here on earth. We may then just be unsure of what to pray for in any setting, unsure what our Father wants, and then we're assured the Spirit prays for us. Let's stop there. Uh, Why don't we do uh, the same uh, as uh, first session? Uh, Why don't we divide into our groups and have a think about what's struck you? Uh, Sorry, Lisa, you just would ask a question? Yep. Um, You were talking about your family picture. Yeah. Yeah.
it struck me, do you think it's harder than for us as adults, though, because um, our relationship with our dad changed over time with him and him getting together? Um, talking to yeah. 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 The illustration isn't isn't a completely perfect one, but um, and it is different in that we it's like we've been well we have indeed been adopted, so we've come into a new relationship, and that then is a relationship that you're going to have to grow in. But we are to relate to him as father. Um, some of that may have some of the sort of childishness of my children taken out of it. But it's still a relationship of trust and dependence and turning to him and talking to him and asking him for things. Um, and the main point is, is that it is the, the spirit, he sends the Spirit to make that a real relationship rather than just an idea that we oh yeah, we're adopted. No, it's that this is a, the defining relationship of our lives. Just like Dave Pelzer's defining relationship, feeling like he was lost. Well, we were lost. And now we are brought home. And now we live with God as Father. And now we give ourselves to talking to Him, relating to Him. And I've talked in terms of relationship in a sense a bit more than I have just prayer, because prayer is only the verbalization and expression of that whole relationship. If we haven't got this relationship with God clear, we're not going to pray. I think if this is clear, our prayer flows.